We're talking about today the need for Christmas, and obviously the first Sunday in December, we really want to start focusing on this uh, greatly. You've got your Bibles. Please turn to the book of Genesis, and uh, want to turn to chapter number 16, and we'll begin reading there. This is going to be a, uh, a message that might be considered a little, little bit Bible-laden. We're going to deal with a lot of scripture today. But I think we're going to be hopefully answering a lot of questions about some current events. The title of the message is The Need for Christmas. But we're going to be really talking about some real modern day situations that we're dealing with right now. God gives us living symbols of his truth that transcend time and cultures. These symbols are there for us to be reminded of who he is and his promises to us. I think of like the rainbow. Uh, Every time we see the rainbow in the sky, we should think, thank you, Lord. That is your sign, a promise to us that you will never again flood the earth with water. So we we, we can take that off of our fear list, right? We just go, scratch that. God's not going to do that again. And so it's a symbol of God and his goodness, his favor, and his promises. I think of the, the, the symbol of seed time and harvest. God says as long as there are people on this planet... There's going to be the time for seed time and harvest. There's a season for planting, and then there's a season for harvest. That will always be that way. Uh, As long as human beings are on this planet, as long as human beings are on this planet, there will be food. I don't care if the globe gets hotter or colder, there will be food, seed time and harvest, okay? We also see the fact that what you plant is what you get. What you sow is what you reap. You don't have to worry about planting an, 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 an apple seed and then you know, getting a, a pear tree or bush or fig tree or whatever. Whatever you plant is what you get. Another symbol that I believe God's given us is the realization that people live either in, the, in bondage or they live in freedom. Another way of saying that is they either live in the flesh or in the spirit. People either live in bondage or they live in freedom. Now, some of you might go, I'm not so sure about that. What's the symbol of that, the realization? Well, that's what, exactly what we're going to talk about. And so hang in there and we'll, we'll get there for sure. We're going to talk a little bit about Israel and what is happening today between Israel and and the Palestinian people, but in specificity, Hamas, which is the governing power of the Palestinians there in the land of Israel. There is, it is impossible for us to cover that whole subject, to look at all the angles and to, to examine and, and make statements about everything that's happening. That's not the plan. But today I want to go all the way back to the reason why this problem is here today. This is not a new war. This is perhaps the oldest war, and it continues to rise and fall and rise and fall, but it is the same war that has always been since Abraham and will continue until Christ returns. But we're going to look at the reason why, and I believe that is the symbol that God has given us that shows us there are some people that live in bondage and some people that live in freedom. Well, let's uh, begin with... uh, the early 1900s, just a little over 100 years ago, there was something called World War I. And it 
basically was between, obviously, different countries. It was between France, Russia, and Great Britain to start with. It started in uh, 1914. Then in 1917, Italy and the U.S. Uh, got involved in it as well. The war ended on December, uh, November 11th, uh, 1918. That November 11th, that's the date that we have chosen to honor our veterans in light of the end of World War I. The war was against four different empires. The German Empire, the uh, uh, Austria-Hungarian Empire, and the Bulgarian, and the Ottoman Empire. Those four empires. And the Ottoman Empire was a vast empire that incorporated all of what we now call geographical Israel and much more than that. So let's look at these a couple of different maps. Look first at what Israel looks like today. That's what we see when we look at Israel. The borders, we see the green is what has been allotted to the Palestinians. And then the next one is really uh, the Ottoman Empire. You can see how vast and, and large uh, that was at the time. The Ottoman Empire was uh, in control of that region, the blue region, for 400 years. If you look at under the, the word Ottoman, the word Syria, the name Syria, that's about the northern tip of Israel. That's, that's where Israel is today. And so you can kind of get a picture. The Ottoman Empire was very, very uh, vast. It incorporated these other countries that you can see. Then right after World War I, this is what Israel looked like. This was uh, what is called the British Mandate. And, um, and so that's what it looked like then. So just in the last a little over 100 years, you can see where the, the borders of Israel have changed numerous times. And that's just a few of the maps. The borders have actually changed more times than what we've just shown. So these borders have changed many times just in the last 106 years. There are some people that are 106 years old alive today, and so all of those changes happened in their lifetime. And so this war, this, this uh, land grab, if you will, and trying to be who's in control, we want to be in control, no, we want to be in control, it's not a new thing, it's really an old thing, but it's new to us right now. And, of course, we know that there was a ceasefire, and now that has ended, and, and they're moving on uh, to try and uh, trying to reach peace through force. I just want to share with you for a moment, um, many have said that the, the October 7th of this year was the 9-11 of Israel, that that was their 9-11. I, I agree and disagree. Like I said, this war's been going on a long time, but that was, it certainly is comparison. But if you look at the population of America on 9-11 and the percentage of the people who passed away, who died as a result of those attacks, and then the, the population of Israel today and the number of people who died in proportion, a percentage, uh, it, there's no comparison. Israel lost many, many more people percentage-wise than we did in America. So that, I'm just trying to give you a, a, a scale of how large that attack was uh, against Israel. And I think you're going to find in, in what I'm going to say today is that uh, I am not here to defend everything that Israel's done or everything that Hamas has done. I'm not here to be the judge and jury. I'm here to say, how has this happened? Why did this happen? What is the beginning of this conflict that's been going on for thousands of years? So I'm, I can't even defend our country, much less anybody else's country. I mean, nobody really says, man, those guys in Washington, they're amazing. <laughs> Sometimes we look at them and go, who did we elect? 
<laughs> what are they thinking? So if we can't even figure it out in our own country, I'm certainly not going to throw arrows in anybody else's country. Nobody's perfect, but we're going we're gonna to keep... We're going to keep moving forward. So I'm not here to be judge and jury. I'm here to say, how did this all start? And I think it will give a better perspective, especially for those of us who are a little younger, uh, middle school, high school, college-age students, and I think maybe a help for the parents who raise those uh, aged children as well. You're in Genesis chapter number 16. We're going to look at a couple of different verses and see how, how is this happening, what, what really happened here. So there's this guy named Abram. His name was changed to Abraham. He's married to Sarai. Her name was changed to Sarah. And then there's a slave woman called Hagar. So uh, Abraham's 90, Sarah's about 80, and uh, Hagar's young. Sarah has not been able to conceive. God has given Abraham several times the same promise. You're going to have a son. And through him, all the nations of the world are going to be blessed. There's going to be mighty. You won't even be able to number how many descendants that you have. And so Abraham's holding on to that promise. But Sarah doesn't have a baby. She hasn't conceived. And so Sarah comes to Abram one day and says, listen, I'm paraphrasing here. Listen, I've been thinking. Uh, God's forbidden me from getting pregnant. So here's this slave of mine, Hagar. She's young. You need to take her as a pseudo-wife, do your thing, and maybe she'll conceive and have a baby, and God will use that baby to bless me, and that will be our family. And, and, and I'm going to say, some, today we go, what? they were really thinking that way? Well, it, that's been going on for thousands of years, and, and actually, in a different way, it still goes on today, but that was the deal for the day. So... I don't know about Hagar, but Sarah and Abraham were in agreement, so they do that. Hagar becomes pregnant. Surprise, there's a problem. <laughs> and then there's tension here. So we're in Genesis chapter 16. Let's start reading at verse number 6. Your slave is in your hands. Abram says, there's tension, there's difficulty, Sarah is not happy, Hagar's not happy, and Abram says, your slave is in your hands, do with her whatever you think best. Then Sarah mistreated Hagar, so Hagar fled from Sarah. The angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert, and it was the, uh, the spring that is beside the road to Shur. And he said, Hagar, slave of Sarah. Where have you come from, and where are you going? I'm running away from my mistress, Sarai, she answered. Then the angel of the Lord told her, Go back to your mistress and submit to her. The angel added, I will increase your descendants so much that they will be too numerous to count. Now I want to just stop there for a moment. We're going to keep reading, but just stop. Look at that verse again. God said, I will increase his numbers. He did not say the devil will. He said, I will. Just keep that in mind. The angel of the Lord also said to her, now he gives her a prophecy about this boy that is going to be born. You are now pregnant. You will give birth to a son. You shall name him Ishmael. For the Lord has heard of your misery. He will be a wild donkey of a man. 
There are some translations. You might have one that says he will be a wild jackass. That's what it says. Okay? His hand will be against everyone and everyone's hand against him. And he will live in hostility toward all his brothers. She gave the name the Lord spoke to her. You are, in some, she gave the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me. Aren't you glad that God sees you? And in this moment, God saw Hagar. And there was a, a well named uh, for that at, at that place. It's very important for us to remember that though this baby did not come through Sarah, came through Hagar, it is still Abraham. Abraham's the father. And God said, I'm going to make him a great nation. And this guy is going to be uh, not liked by a lot of people. He's, he's going to be against people, and people are going to be against him. That is a prophecy uh, not from anyone else except God himself. This is going to be a, a rough individual. It's going to be, he's going to be stout. But God said, I'm going to make him into a big nation. Now let's turn ahead to Genesis chapter 21. Uh, right after this happens, um, uh, Lot is in trouble in Sodom and Gomorrah. That whole situation happens. And then just shortly after this, uh, the good news is, is that uh, Sarah conceives and, uh, and she has a baby. And his name is Isaac. Now there's about a 13-year spread, 14 maybe. And uh, so now Isaac, Sarah's son Isaac is going is weaned. He's he's on solids now. And in that culture, um, we usually have the party when when somebody's we start when you know when we don't even know what they're going to have, you know, reveal parties, you know, gender reveals. And then we have parties for showers before the baby's born. Then the baby's born. We have another party. We just love to party, don't we? <laughs> They waited until the baby was weaned, and then when the baby's weaned, then they throw a big feast. I, I think it had to do with infant mortality, and they go, okay, he's about three or four. We think he's going to make it, and that's the reality of it. So this, what we're going to read now is when Isaac is about three or four years old, that makes Ishmael about 16 or 17. So for, for about 13 years, Ishmael, the daughter of the slave woman, is thinking, my dad's rich. He's got a lot. He's old. I'm going to be rich one day. And Hagar is going like, yes. And now Isaac's born. And there's a disruption there. Just like a crying baby is a little bit of a disruption. <laughs> but we're going to make it through. We're going to make it. You know they're loud when I can hear it, you know. <laughs> so all of a sudden that's all in conflict now because now there's another one and he's made it to three or four years old. And so now you can just feel the tension, can't you? There's like, oh, who's, who's going to get what and how is this all going to shake out? We're in Genesis chapter number 21, verse number 8. The child grew and was weaned, and on the day Isaac was weaned, Abraham held a great feast. But Sarah saw that the son whom Hagar, the Egyptian, had borne to Abraham was mocking. Another word for that is laughing. And she said to Abraham, get rid of that slave woman and her son, for that woman's son will never share in the inheritance with my son Isaac. 
The matter distressed Abraham greatly because it concerned his son. But God said to him, do not be so distressed about the boy and your slave woman. Listen to whatever Sarah tells you, because it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Again, very important. But look what he says next. I will make the son of the slave into a nation also, because he is your offspring. He did not say, the devil's going to make him into a nation. He said, I'm going to make him into a nation. Look what happens next. Early the next morning, Abraham took some food and a skin of water and gave them to Hagar. He set them on her shoulders and then set her off with the boy. She went on her way and wandered in the, del- uh, the desert of Beersheba. When the water and the skin was gone, she put the boy under one of the bushes. Then she went off and sat down about a bow shot away, for she thought, I cannot watch the boy die. And as she sat there, she began to sob. And God heard the boy crying. And the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What is the matter, Hagar? Do not be afraid. God has heard the boy crying as he lies there. Lift the boy up and take him by the hand, for I will make him into a great nation. Then God opened there her eyes. And she saw a well of water. So she went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. And God was with the boy as he grew up. Who was with the boy? And he lived in the desert and became an archer. While was living in the desert of Paran, his mother got him a wife for him from Egypt. God said, I'm going to do this. There are a lot of things that we don't understand. And we look at it and go, what, what's going on here? But God said, Isaac is the one who your descendants are going to be reckoned. The promise is going to flow through the descendants of your son Isaac. But he says, there's this other issue, this Ishmael issue. He says, I'm going to make him a, a big nation, and I'm going to make him a great nation. This wild donkey of a man, this one who's going to be against everybody and everybody against him, He's going to be a great country. He's going to be a great descendants. But Isaac is the one through whom the blessing is going to flow. And Isaac is the son of promise. He's the son of the free woman. And Ishmael is the son of the slave woman. We see here the distinction between people who live in bondage and people who live in freedom. Now, does this mean that none of the descendants of of Hagar and Ishmael can become Christians. Well, not at all. Certainly doesn't mean that. In the, the nation, uh, the borders of Israel right now, there are millions of Palestinians and about 1% are Christians. So you can see they're vast minority, but about 1% they're predicting are Christians. But the Bible tells us anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And so what do, we, what do we see from this? What do we find from this? Is that God's heart is big enough for both parties. God's heart is big enough to say, I am going to extend my love to both. Anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. He did not say you have to be Jewish in order to be saved. Or you have to be Palestinian or Arab 
or that you have to be an American or whatever. He said anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Makes no distinction that the promise of the Messiah and freedom comes through Isaac. There's no question about that. But he's saying, my heart, my heart is big enough for this because I gave a promise to Abraham and I'm going to fulfill that promise. And he gave promises about Ishmael, who are now the Arab people and the, the Palestinians, which that's a whole other thing about when they were called Palestinians, but it is the Arab people. And they are the, of the lineage of Ishmael. And the Jewish people are the lineage of Isaac. And we see the difference between the two. In 2006, the uh, Palestinians there in what we call the geographical area of, of, of Israel had an election, and they elected leaders in the Hamas movement. Hamas is not the Palestinians, and the Palestinians are not Hamas, but they are definitely connected. Uh, there are people who are Palestinians who are not in favor of Hamas, but the problem is they have elections just like you and I have elections, and how many of you can say there are consequences to elections? There are consequences. In 2006, the Palestinian people elected leaders in what they call parliament, we'd call it Congress and Senate, who are in the Hamas movement. And one year later, those leaders went into a military attack, if you will, and just overthrew the, the weaker part of the government or the lesser part of the government and really took seized control, and they did it by force. So now the Palestinian people's elected Hamas leaders in Hamas's charter, it would be like their constitution. In their charter, constitution, they have said, it is our goal to wipe Israel off of the earth, to eliminate Israel altogether. The Palestinians elected those people. What you sow, you reap. What you plant, you get. The Bible tells us if you dig a ditch to try and trap someone else, you yourself will be trapped by it. And that's what's happening. So we see this war going on in Israel, and we see the difference between the child of the slave and the child of the free woman. But does this also play out in the New Testament? Remember, we're talking about the need for Christmas, and we're going to get to that in about a few minutes. <laughs> If you turn your Bibles, please, to Galatians uh, in the New Testament, we're really going to see how this plays out and how the Holy Spirit talks to the new Christians, including you and I, about um, how this plays out in this symbol that is going on for thousands of years and will continue to go on is a symbol for us, just like the rainbow. It is a symbol for us to say, this is the reality of where we live. So we're in Galatians chapter 4. We're going to read verses 21 through 31. Galatians 4, 21 through 31. So he says, tell me, you who want to be under the law, are you not aware of what the law says? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by the slave woman and the other by the free woman. His son by the slave woman was born according to the flesh. But his son by the free woman was born as the result of divine promise. These things are being taken figuratively. The women represent two covenants. One covenant is from Mount Sinai and bears children who are to be slaves. This is Hagar. 
Now, Hagar stands for Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present city of Jerusalem because she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem that is above is free, and she is our mother, for it is written, Be glad, barren woman, you who never bore a child. Shout for joy and cry aloud, you who were never in labor, because more are the children of the desolate woman than the woman than her who has a husband. <laughs> now you, brothers and sisters, like Isaac, are children of promise. At that time, the son born according to the flesh persecuted the son born by the power of the Spirit. It is the same today. But what does Scripture say? Get rid of the slave woman and her son, for the slave woman's son will never share in the inheritance with the free woman's son. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we are not children of the slave woman, but of the free woman. Aren't you glad that in Christ we are children of freedom and not children of slavery? He's saying that those who are trying to live by the standard of law, here's the things you've got to do. Here's the things you cannot do. Okay, I've got to work really hard to make sure I'm a good person. He's saying that's bondage. That is the Old Testament. That is the law that was given to us to show us we cannot please God in accordance with the law because we can't keep the law. If we could keep the law and do everything God said to do and not do what he said not to do, then we would please God. We'd be like, we'd be okay with God and he'd be okay with us. The problem is it can't happen. It's impossible. And we find ourselves in slavery to sin because we sin. We're not, we're not sinners because we sin. We sin because we're sinners. We're born that way. We're born with an old nature that comes from Adam and Eve, passing down through that just, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to choose my own way. I'm going to go against God. And God is saying that's bondage. But in Christ, there's a change made, a total transformation, because God takes out of us that heart of rebellion and puts within us a new heart that says, yes, I want to serve God. And he makes us in right standing with him, not by the good deeds that we've done, but he takes Christ's righteousness and says, I'm giving you his righteousness as a gift. And so we are made righteous not by being good, but we're made righteous in God's sight by the gift of salvation from God, thus transitioning us from being a slave to sin to now being able to honor and worship God in freedom in the spirit of truth. So he's saying there, there is the difference. Well, let's keep reading. Let's find out what we're really talking about. And the, the, what is the works of bondage and what are the works of the Spirit? It's, we've got the verses up here in Galatians chapter 5. The acts of the flesh are obvious. The acts of the flesh, the acts of bondage, the acts of slavery. Sexual immorality. Can I just throw a caveat in here? When the Bible says sexual immorality... He's not talking about sexual immorality as defined by America or your culture. Wow, I, I didn't know you were going to be that quiet. <laughs> it's defined by the Word of God. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, 
impurity, debauchery, which is unbridled lust, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions or divisions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. Look at what he says. I warn you as I did before. Those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. What he does not say is those who live like this but go to church on Sunday, you get a pass. You'll be okay. He doesn't say those who live this way, but they, they're really proud of themselves and they think they're doing awesome. You get a pass too. No, he doesn't say that. He says those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. And that's the restlessness of our heart without Christ. That is with the song. It is well with my soul. It cannot be well with your soul as long as you're, as you're working against God and not allowing him into your life and you're doing your own thing and living your own path. You cannot be well with your soul. You may have tons of money, a great 401k, 14 houses and 25 cars, and you still have restlessness in your soul because you don't know Christ. And I'm not against houses and cars. I'm just saying you can have all that stuff in the world, but without Christ, there's a restlessness in your heart, and it does not well with your soul. Because you're still in slavery and not in freedom. Well, let's keep reading here in Galatians chapter 5. What about the Spirit? What about freedom? But the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. And when the, the book of Romans, and I tell you, the men who gather here on Tuesday morning at 7 o'clock, all you men, you're welcome to, to come to that Tuesday morning, 7 o'clock here in the cafe. We're walking through the, the book of Romans right now, just having a great time, interacting, talking, encouraging one another. I encourage you to be here. Women, you're not allowed to come. <laughs> Only the men. But I encourage you to be here. But right there in the middle of Romans, uh, in chapter number 7, we, we, we remember that chapter because the Holy Spirit is trying to get a message to the church at Rome. And he's using Paul's experience prior to being saved. He goes, man, I'm, there's some things I know I, I really want to do these things, but I don't do them. And there's some things I know I don't need to do. I shouldn't be doing them. I do them anyway. And he's showing us that conflict. Even what he's saying is, you can't trust your own heart. He said, I, I want to do these things. I don't do them. I don't want to do those things. I do them anyway. This advice about follow your heart, that'll, that's not good. Because your heart, without Christ, has been deceived. And even in Christ, We've got to match everything your heart's telling you up against this word. Y'all are getting quiet on me now. Paul in that seventh chapter of Romans. He, he goes through all of that stress and all of that tension. And then look what he says. He said, what a wretched man I am. That word wretched is only used twice in Scripture. 
Only twice. And it says just what it looks like. Wretched. <laughs> Terrible. He said, oh, what a wretched man I am. The other time that it's used is in Revelation chapter 3 and verse 17 when the Lord's talking, if you will, to the church at Laodicea. And he's, he's putting it on him. And, and the Laodicean, he's, he's given their response. He's like the Laodiceans would say this. They said, hey, you say, I'm rich. I have acquired wealth and I don't need anything. And God's response to them is this. He said, but you do not realize that you are wretched. And you are pitiful. You are poor, blind, and naked. You see, the heart of man can say, I've got everything I need. Everything's great. But what is God's assessment? God's assessment can be different than our assessment. I mean, you ever met one of those people who just thinks they're really amazing, and you're looking at it and you're going, like, not so really. <laughs> Without Christ, we can go, man, I am amazing, and God's going, like, yeah, not really. You need help. But aren't you thankful God gives us the help? Because that's what Paul says next. He said, oh, wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through my great effort. Through my money. Through how much money I give to the church. Through how my attendance at church. Helping other people. No. It is through Christ. It is not through our effort. It is not through what we can do. But it is through Christ giving us life giving us rebirth so that then we are born again into freedom and liberty and we are out of bondage. Isn't that good? Man, and we just long for that freedom and you long for that freedom until you find it in Christ. The heart is restless. The heart is, is not able to be at peace until it finds its peace in Christ for that is what it was made for. Galatians chapter 4, verse 7, we have the verse right here. He says, so you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. That's what God's plan is for your life. It is the reality that some people live in bondage and some in freedom. That some people live in the flesh and some people live in the spirit. We all are born into the slavery of sin. But it is through the rebirth of Jesus Christ that we are born again. And now we have the Spirit of God. And now we are out of slavery and into freedom because God gives us a heart transplant. Amen? Amen. And that's God's plan for your life. So my question to you today is, what is the need of Christmas? The need of Christmas is that Christ would come, the Messiah, the one who's perfect, would come and live his life, do his teaching, perform his miracles, but ultimately would die on the cross for your sin and my sin and the sin of the entire world. And he would be dead and buried in a tomb for three days and then raised from the dead to prove he is the Messiah, he did pay for our sin, and he is more powerful than death itself. And that's why we need Christmas is so that Christ would die on the cross. My second question to you is this. Who is your Savior? Who is your Savior? Who is your Savior? Is it yourself? I just share with you. I, I'm, I'm a terrible Savior. I'm horrible at it. And you are too. Because the job's too big for us. The job's too big. 
If we picked out one person in this room and all the rest of us did a bunch of good stuff and attributed it to that one person, like if all of our goodness could be applied to one person, certainly that certainly God would accept that person. No. No, because all of our goodness put together couldn't save one of us. Is your job your savior? Your career, your path, your promotions? Is your marriage your savior? How about your children, grandchildren? How about your next vacation? Fill in the blank. Just, we can just keep going all day. What is your savior? Who is your savior? You know, amen, you know your heart is restless until you meet Christ because he is the savior of the world. As long as you don't know Christ, you are living as a child of slavery. But in Christ, we are free. In Christ, we have been free from sin. Jesus said, he whom the Son sets free is free indeed. In Galatians, Paul writes, he said, it is for freedom that Christ has set you free. He wants you to be free, and in Christ, you are. And so now, it is the Christian's responsibility to find out, okay, God has placed me now in freedom. He's birthed me into freedom, and now i got to find out what does that freedom look like, and i got to go for it and live in the freedom that God's given me, because it is a gift from Him. But how about you? I want to speak specifically to those today who are saying, you know what? I get it. I, I would, I'm like Paul. I, I, I want to do good, and I don't, I don't want to do bad, and I do it anyway. And I'm a wretched person. In God's eyes, I don't measure up. A lot of people like me, but in God's eyes, it's not working. But I want to change that. And it's just a matter of saying, God, here I am. Okay, I'm, I, I, I've blown it. I don't have what it takes. Lord, would you please forgive me? Come into my life. Lord, please overpower all of my sin, all my stupid things I've done, all the dumb things I've done. Lord, would you just overpower them with the grace of Christ, the blood of Jesus Christ cleansing me of all of the sin. I believe Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sin and the sin of this world. I believe that he died and was buried, and I believe he rose from the dead three days later. And that's where I'm putting my faith and my everything I have into what Christ did for me. And now, Lord, I give you my life. I want to just follow you all the days of my life. If you'll pray something like that, it's just from your heart, absolutely from your heart. The Bible says you will be transitioned from that life of bondage into a life of freedom. And it, you'll never know freedom until you know it in Christ because that's God's freedom and not this world's freedom. The reason why we're seeing this picture played out in Israel right now. It is a symbol of what happens in every person's life between slavery and freedom. And it's going to continue until Christ comes because it's a visual for us to understand and realize. Do you want to be free? It is found in Christ. It's found in Christ. Let's pray.